Welcome to the Real Life Theology Podcast hosted by Renew. This is Chris. Great to be with you again today. On this episode, Doug Crozier of the Solomon Foundation is going to give some really good insight for churches around finances, getting a loan, you know, just what the process really looks like. Let's go ahead and take in his wisdom from a guy who's been doing this a long time and has helped a lot of churches. Let's go ahead and check out what Doug has to say now. So let me just start here. You guys ready to go? All right. Well, I can slip. I can go over this pretty quick. You all know who we are. <clears throat> we're not. Uh, we're a ministry partner, not just a lender. We're church extension fund. Uh, we want to be in relationship with churches and their leaders. Relationship is more important to us uh, than anything else in our organization. Uh, it's it's more than lending money. Uh, we're here to help when needed. So we want to be your partner. Uh, we don't want to be your banker. Okay. Uh, core values are pretty simple. Number one is honor God. Number two is help people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So for us, like I just said on stage, I mean, 50,000 people baptized. That's the number, you know, we're bankers, quote unquote, but that's the number we calculate. I don't think you'll find anybody else in the financial world that does. We help churches get to the next step, just like we did at Real Life, just like we did at Ecclesia and hundreds of other churches across the country. And number five, we want to have uh, fun. Uh, fourth largest extension fund in America, over a billion in total asset, assets, fastest growing, exceptional track record. We've met all regulatory requirements since we started. So we are regulated by all 50 states. So we don't have one regulator. We get 50. All right, which means we, we're under a lot of scrutiny, all right, which is good for an investor. You want to make sure that we follow the rules. Um, this slide's a little dated uh, because our cash reserves uh, were over $155 million at one time. During COVID, we brought in record number of deposits. So to give you an example, Tommy and Matt, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Before COVID, we would come into the church and raise deposits, okay? So during COVID, we couldn't come into the church and raise deposits. So the year before COVID, we raised about 140 to $150 million of deposits. The year we were in COVID, when we couldn't be in church, this is only a God, only God can do this. We raised $248 million, Okay. Uh, so we ended COVID with a lot of extra cash. A lot of that, I think, is because churches stockpiled money, mainly PPP money, other government assistance they got. They stuck that away for a rainy day, and they stuck it with us, you know, to get good interest. Uh, we've got an exceptional loan portfolio. I mean, um, so, so, so think about this. You know, when you lend money to churches or people or businesses, not every loan is going to pay as a great. It's just a numbers game, right? We went into COVID with 350 loans and three loans over 90 days delinquent. We came out of COVID with over 500 loans on our books and no delinquencies. Because you're probably all like me. When COVID hit, the first thing I said to myself was, let's see, churches are closed, people can't attend, people can't give, 
churches aren't going to make their mortgage payments. Oh, ye of little faith, right? Uh, it was the opposite during COVID. Uh, record number of online people. Churches opened up. And the churches, like both of yours, opened up early. The earlier the churches opened up, the better off they are today. We've got some churches that have just reopened recently, and they're hurting. Okay? Uh, so we've got an exceptional loan portfolio, and we've funded some of the fastest-growing churches in America, of which two of them are right here. So satisfied customers, right? But here's, here's a couple things that you, might be important for you guys to kind of know what's going on out there. Uh, there's about 400,000. These are pre-COVID numbers, okay? Uh, 400,000 uh, churches in America. Vast majority are not growing. Approximately 3,500 churches close every year in America, and approximately 4,000 new churches are planted. That 4,000 number, from rough, rough estimates that I've heard, went from 4,000 a year to less than 1,000 during COVID. Okay, Because where do churches mainly meet? Uh, if they don't have a building and they have to rent, schools. Schools wouldn't let them in. Um, uh, one half of all existing churches will not add new members by conversion growth. Isn't that a stunning statistic? But it's the truth. And 66% of all churches in America pre-COVID rented space, which that shocked me. I thought it would be the other way around. Closed churches uh, pre-COVID as, uh, are usually down to a handful of people. Um, they could not adapt to change. Um, uh, over 3,500 close every year. Uh, and a lot of them are old buildings, and they're, they're either functionally obsolete or that you just can't repair them. All right? And so a lot of those churches have closed. Uh, over over the years, and they're they're functionally obsolete, which means that they can't keep up with all the ADA requirements and all the new new rules and regulations that you have to follow. And they're usually on a small postage stamp type uh, parcel of land. Uh, impact of COVID: um, many mainline denominations are closing churches. I just attended our annual conference that has all of the denominational lenders and, and church lenders in a conference. There's about 50 funds. Uh, the vast majority are dying. Okay, so to give you an example, my friends, my friends at the Presbyterian USA Fund, uh, 15, 20 years ago, they were seven, $800 million fund. Today, they're less than $100 million. Why? Churches are closing. And there's no church growth going on in the Presbyterian denomination. Um, obviously, impact to COVID, many churches developed online capabilities. What we found during COVID was the higher percentage of online giving, the more successful the church was to get through COVID. Uh, most churches were in that 40 to 50% range. In other words, 40 to 50% of your weekly income was just coming electronically, okay? Automatic, right? Uh, and a lot of churches used COVID to build that number up to 75 or 80%. Where, where, where are you guys at on percent of giving online? Yeah? 
Yeah, I mean, in pre-COVID, you were half that. Yeah, yeah. Um, churches, meeting, and schools, and many lease spaces were impacted um, majorly. Uh, and so we put an emphasis on that. It's interesting. Um, we usually uh, open about 25 to 30 new buildings a year. Uh, we've got 40 to 60 projects going at one time, but end up you know, opening about 25 to 30. And we ramped that up during COVID because we found out very quickly construction workers were essential. Okay, so that means construction workers had to work. Okay, they didn't have to stay home. Okay, they had to get vaccinated and everything else, but they, they, they could work. So we ramped up, and uh, the first year of COVID, we opened 37 new buildings. Two-thirds of those buildings were to churches that were meeting in schools because several of those churches would not be in existence today, okay? You take like Michael Winokur. You know, we looked at hundreds of buildings. We could never afford anything. And we finally said, when he couldn't meet in the school, we said, all right, we don't care what it costs. We're going to get cross-culture a building. And we got them a building, and they exploded and grew okay? But that, that was a church that was in the situation that if we wouldn't have helped them build a facility, I'm convinced they would not have made it. Um, and again, we talked about this a little bit ago, but giving was up during COVID. I mean, the vast majority of churches, giving was up. And that, we saw that all across the board. We saw very, probably less than 10% of our loan portfolio churches had giving that was less than pre-COVID. It was that small of a number. We saw a lot of struggling churches in August. They rebounded in September, but August was like, like it got hit on the side of the head with a sledgehammer. I mean, churches that would, were seeing 70, 80% of their offerings down the month of July and August. And I think a lot of it is America went on vacation. Okay? America went on vacation. I mean, try to, go, try to go to Rocky Mountain National Park in the summer now. You have to get a reservation months in advance to even get in the park. Or if they'll let a few people in, if you get to the park at 5 a.m. in the morning. Now, how many people are going to go to the park at 5 a.m.? You probably would, Matt. But, but the point is, everybody was on vacation. I think, I think what we're, what we're going to do, we haven't formalized this, but one of the things I want to put into place is to help churches put their budgets together for next year or the following year with uh, the concept that at least August and July, just plan on getting zero in giving and plan your budget around that so that when August comes and your offerings go down 70%, you're still ahead because you budgeted and planned for it. Uh, and then, of course, the, the age-old question is, will people come back to church? Now, here's what, what I'm hearing uh, in talking to pastors, really all across the United States, is 40% have come back. 
40% are new people, and the rest aren't coming back. Have you seen a lot of that? Your churches are different just simply because you're growing so fast. And, but, you know, the jury's still out. Are people going to come back? You know, and I think COVID gave people the excuse not to go to church. You know, or I don't know about you all, but I got so sick of the online church. I mean, how can I, can I really worship God sitting in my living room, you've been in my living room, with a nice view outside, in my pajamas, drinking a cup of coffee. It, de- it didn't work for me. So my wife and I, we started getting up on Sunday morning. We would get dressed like we would to go to church every week. We'd drive to the church parking lot, and we watched church on the iPhone from the church parking lot. So we felt like we were connected and, of course, I posted that on Facebook. So the next week there was 10 or 15 cars. And the next week, one time there was like, everybody would bring their lawn chairs and sit out, and we'd watch church together from our car or, or in the vicinity of our car. And it was like we were fellowshipping, you know. Policemen came by once. We live in suburban Colorado, so it's a little bit different than Denver. And the cop said, have a good time. but you know that's still i think going to be a question that a lot of people ask is will will people come back um you know i think part of uh post-covid uh planning has to be uh, we must react and develop new ways to reach people and i think online was a great way to introduce yourselves um, I mean, some churches, we have a church, African-American church in Atlanta, Orpheus, I think he's speaking later today. Their church annual budget during COVID, and they were closed a long time. Uh, they just recently reopened. Their online giving, they went to all online giving, and their annual budget was a million dollars. And the year of COVID, they brought in two and a half million dollars. It's up 150%. Uh, so they, they developed, um, a lot of that's because the, that particular pastor is known nationally. So he had a big audience across the United States. A church is an industry. So the depth of the industry, just to kind of give you a feel, it's about a four to six billion dollars of new construction in churches. Uh, goes on every year. So it's it's a pretty good um, segment of the economy, uh, new, new buildings and renovations. Uh, churches tend to lag in an ec- economic downturn. So here's a key point. We've entered what most people feel is a recession. Okay, would we all agree? It may not be the technical version, but the t- trust me, the technical version's coming in the next couple months. What's going to happen is um, churches will lag. Churches won't feel that, that uh, hit in the economy for probably three to nine months after the rest of the economy hits it. Okay, But the other thing that happens during recessions, and I've studied this over the last 30 years, is church giving goes down, but church attendance 
goes up, which should pretty much level out income. All right? You're going to see more people in church because they've got more problems, right? And people are going to give less because of the economy, but you've got more people across the spectrum giving more or about the same. Uh, churches and schools together are in are, are a changing market. Okay, here's the here's the thing that's happening across the country. Christian schools are exploding in growth. Why? Bingo. Number two. Yeah, and the, the parents didn't like online school. Okay. Uh, that's going to change. So, so what we're doing at the Solomon Foundation is we partnered with a national firm that does preschools called Lionheart and another gentleman that used to be with Lionheart. And so that we're, when, when churches build buildings, we want to put them together with somebody that knows how to do these preschools successfully and build an uh, immediate income stream. They have a track record that shows by the third year of the preschool, it's going to throw off about three to $400,000 of revenue to the church. Okay? Plus, it's going to be an outreach. You know, studies say that 50% of people that put their kids in a church preschool or a church elementary school uh, end up going to that church. So it's, it's an outreach, too. Uh, so I think there's a lot of changes going on. And one of the reasons... We're getting aggressive in this area is because the other thing that's happening is prices have escalated. They're, they're, they're insane. You guys know you just broke ground on your next phase. You know, because we're trying to buy you a big warehouse building, and the guy just thinks he's, he thinks he's got the Taj Mahal, and he doesn't. <laughs> and, and the bottom line is, you know, we'll wait that one out, and we'll buy that building. But costs are escalating, so how do we offset that? Okay, so lots of changing, uh, changing markets there, too. You've probably heard the statistic that says that the average first-time visitor to your church decides within seven minutes if they're not coming back. So what are they encountering in those seven minutes that has the potential to make or break their experience? I'm Abby Barris designer and ministry veteran, and I would love to help you make those seven minutes as effective as possible. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how I can help you create strategic spaces that support your processes, communicate your values, and make space for everyone. The church finance world, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, Between 80 and 90 percent of churches in America cannot get a bank loan. Amazing, okay? And most of the churches that do get bank loans, they're because they have their relationship driven. It's with a small community bank, all right? Now, the big giga churches, you know, like a Christ Church of the Valley or Southeast in Louisville that run 35000 every week, uh, they can walk into any money center bank, which would be your, you know, your Bank of America, Wells Fargo, you name it. They can walk in and borrow whatever they need because of the income stream that they have. All right, but most, the vast majority of churches in America uh, get their financing through a church extension fund. It is the the vehicle uh, that helps um, 
get that done. There are a few mortgage REITs, but you know, we just uh, partner with a group in uh, Amarillo and they, they changed their um, model from doing church loans to doing charter school loans about three years ago. What a great timing to go into charter school loans. Our business plan is exploding. And they had a small portfolio of like $20 million of, of church loans and they didn't want them. So we bought them, service them. And um, because, you know, they're just out of the church lending world. So there's not, not much there that's going to help churches get financing. Um, underwriting criteria. You know, um, for, for Ecclesia in real life, you know, we, we stretch the envelope huge to allow you guys to get into your building. In fact, so I've been doing this 30 plus years. Real Life Texas is the only church that I made a loan to to buy a building before they were a church. Branded and studied under Jim Putman for years. We knew it was going to explode in growth. It was something that we could analyze and figure very quickly we could do that. Um, the same with Matt. I mean, you know, when, when Matt told me he was going to build a 15,000 square foot building, I said, I'm not interested. And he gave me kind of a funny look, and I said, because I'm only interested if you build 30,000. And, you know, because we knew if you build twelve to 15,000, you move into it and you can't grow. So you're kind of stuck. If you move into 30, it gives you the ability, just like you guys, we had to do both. You had two buildings, remember? We had to do the first, you know, you know better than I do. We had to do the first one, and then immediately we had to do the second one. Didn't wait, didn't wait long at all. But the key financial ratios, uh, debt service ratio, income uh, coverage or expense coverage ratio, giving per person per week, debt per attendee, loan to value, and then the 10, 50, 30, 10 rule. I'm going to go through these in detail here. And then we track also um, some ministry ratios. We, uh, we track uh, trending of baptisms. And uh, also we, on a lot of our church underwriting, we actually want to know what the um, number of small groups are in your church. Okay? That's important. All right? Because I've, I've experienced this so many times in my career where I walked into a church, met with the leadership. They were sound financially, but they were a mess leadership-wise. And so I would rather partner with the church that wants to grow and expand like you guys have um, faster and more efficiently than I would just uh, help a church put new carpet in their building, right? Or refi it for a better rate, you know? That just doesn't get us excited. So let's talk about these real quick. So a debt service ratio is pretty simple. Uh, for every dollar that comes into your offering plate, uh, or online, um, we don't want to see more than 35% go towards debt service. Okay, Debt service would be your payment every month. If my memory serves me correctly, we did the first loan for Ecclesia, and that ratio was 60%. But Ecclesia was a church of 240, so I know you're all math wizards in here. So they tripled in size. So therefore, if they were at 60%, their debt coverage just went to 
See, we're going we're gonna to partner with the churches that we know can see that huge growth. But initially, we have to look at that, that level of a, a debt, debt service uh, ratio. Secondly is an expense coverage ratio. So the, the way the bank looks at that, the bank wants you to produce 120% of what you spend, okay? Because that's how they underwrite business loans. So the problem with that is the church is tasked to do what? Spend 100%. You're not a for-profit entity. You know, of course, you want reserves. So we look at the expense coverage ratio. We want to see one-to-one. Okay, growing dynamic churches, they may start out at 85 or 90%. But again, we, we do that underwriting when Ecclesia was 240, and all of a sudden, when they're 700, um, obviously their expense ratio, uh, coverage ratio comes in well. Per capita, per person, per week. This is, this is a challenging one for a lot of churches. The younger a church, the lower the number. The older the church, the higher the number. So we'll run into churches that are 50, 100 people, and their per capita giving per week is $50, $60 per person. Why is that? We can analyze that very quickly, and it shows basically they don't want to grow. It's the same families, and they're going to stay there and not grow. So we're really not interested in that one. But when I look at an ecclesia first time around, of course, I couldn't look at real life because they didn't even have a church yet. (laughs) You know, I think that number was probably 10 or 11. And you've built that up over time to a really good number. You've worked hard at that, Matt. But but what, what we like to see kind of the middle of the pack is $20 per person per week. All right? Now, I'm going to be bold when I say this. I do not believe in capital campaigns. They're a thing of the past. Uh, You know, when I first got in this industry 30 years ago, most churches could collect 90% of their commitments. Then all of a sudden, 10 years later, it was 80%. Many people feel now that churches that are doing capital campaigns are collecting 50 to 60% of their pledges. How can you plan to build a building and expand your church? Because what happens? Okay, you know, Tommy comes to me and says, we've got a capital campaign over three years at $2 million, and we're going to collect 90%. Okay, that's a million eight. So we factor that into your building, right? Then all of a sudden, when it comes in at 50%, you are now $800,000 short. And we just feel that... The younger generations, they don't really understand capital campaigns. My kids are 38 and 40, all right? They're tithers. They know what tithing is. The new, younger generations, they know what tithing is because they've been taught that. If they're taught that, they'll follow that. But this whole capital campaign is like, Dad, why do I have to give to a capital campaign? I tithe. I'm I'm obedient. I said, well, you should actually give above the tithe. But, but the bottom line is um, capital campaigns, I think, are a thing of the past. Uh, debt per attendee, um, we, we like to see this number not exceed 6000 per person. So let's do a quick calculation on that. If you borrow 
$10 million and your church runs a thousand, that thousand dollars, no, that's 10,000 per person. Okay. We like to see that at six. Younger growing dynamic churches will stretch out to seven or eight, maybe nine, but that's a good a benchmark for you to have as you look at your, all of these things, these ratios, you can do, you can apply these to your monthly numbers. Okay. And just see how you are tracking against what's uh, more, more uh, normal in the market. Loan to value, it's a meaningless ratio for us. Why do the banks have to have loan to value requirements? You think it's the bank's requirement or is it someone else? Federal government. Okay, so the FDIC, Office of the Comptroller, all the people that audit banks require appraisals. Now we require appraisals, but we're not gonna rely on them, all right? Because here's the other thing in the business that we're in in church lending. We could care less what the value of the building is because we're a cash flow lender. We wanna know what the cash flow does more than we wanna know what the property appraises for. Now, we have to get appraisals on our loans because our auditors require it, okay? But we don't do any calculations that will affect that. In fact, that's one of the least uh, rated um, criteria that we uh, analyze in our portfolio. Okay, the 10-10-80 rule uh, for your own household. Everybody knows what that is, right? 10% to God, 10% to savings, 80% is what you live on. And the church side, it's a little bit different. It's 10% tithe to missions, 50% staff. So your staff, all your costs for your staff should be 50% of your uh, budget. If it's higher, that means you, may, you might be overstaffed. If it's lower, it means you need to add staff. And then 30% to facilities, all right? Again, that, that earlier ratio we looked at, and then 10% to, pro, I say, programming or ministry, put your programs into effect. I would, tr if I were you as a church, I would track this every month. You know, where are we at on that? When we look at the 10, 50, 30, 10 rule, where are we at? And are we doing well or not doing well in, in each one of those areas, Okay just like you would for your own household, the 10-10-80 rule. Full leadership evaluation. Uh, one of the things that we do, I've been doing this long enough, I can read an eldership within 30 minutes of being in the room. 30 minutes. You can pretty much tell what kind of church they are. Are they staff-led, elder-protected, are they staff or elder-led? Um, both models are great, but you've got to be able to understand those as to who's making the decision, because if you're going to loan money to a church to build a building, the two biggest risks in loaning the money is not the financial side. It's moral failure in the pulpit, and it's leadership meltdown. And trust me, I've seen everything. I've seen it all. Leadership meltdown would be when, when Tommy and Brandon get sideways with the elders, and there's a fist fight, and the church splits. No, I'm joking. But you know what I'm saying? You've all experienced it. We've all experienced what that's like. It's no fun. And, you know, we are human beings, and we're going to have those things happen. It's how we mitigate it, how we control it, and how we manage it. Because, you know, 
I, I was talking to a pastor this morning that's here at this conference that's got a very strong, dynamic church, and he pulled me aside and he says, I got to talk to you. He says, I got, I got elder problems. And I'm thinking to myself, you have elders? I know your elders. You got, he says, yeah, I got two that are with me, two that are against me, and three of them don't say a word. I mean, if you, you get to the point where you analyze that, you know you've got things going on. Okay? So we watch that. But here's the thing, is our relationships with churches, do you think that pastor would have gone to his banker? No. No. Now, we're going we're gonna to help him. We're going to put some things in place. We're going to send some resources to him so that uh, they can work through that. But the bottom line is that's a partnership aspect of the relationship. But those are the two biggest ones. I mean, my classic one was I'm sitting on the tarmac at Kansas City International Airport. This has been 18, 20 years ago. My cell phone rings, and it's an elder at the church. says, we need you to be on a conference call. There weren't Zoom calls back then. In 20 minutes, I said, okay, well, I'm getting my rental car, and I'll, I'll pipe in. What's the subject? He goes, you just need to pipe in. So I connected in. Church was having their grand opening coming up that next weekend, and their pastor just announced to their, the elders that he and his boyfriend were running away together and they, that he was gone. That church never recovered from that. And you would have never thought what that, that would have happened, but it happened. And so that's why we have that relationship to make sure we can mitigate a lot of that. So maintaining, um, again, the 10-50-30-10 rule, managing cash during seasonal changes and emergencies, that's a big one. You've, you've got to be able to manage your cash. You've got to be able to stockpile cash and not spend it when you have it uh, so that when that that emergency hits, you've got it. You've got it. Uh, because that's, that's critical to the survival of your church. Um, paying down debt by shortening uh, the amortization period or um, by extra payments is good and healthy. I, I think one thing the church needs to do is look at that very carefully because they don't want to shorten the amortization on their loan and then six months later they can't make the larger payment. So that's, that's a one that we, uh, we really uh, counsel a lot of churches on that. Um, we feel that a church uh, should maintain four to six months of reserves of all church expenses, okay? So if your church's expenses, five minutes, okay? If your church's expenses are 100000 a month, then you need to have four to 600000 in reserve. So when that rainy day comes... Or summer hits, right? You've got those reserves to be able to weather the storm. Uh, reducing debt allows the church to uh, reduce expenses, more for ministry, plan for expansion. Uh, and it is critical, I think, that a church does learn the power of shortening the amortization. So um, that's critical to be able to... Uh, learn the power of shortening the amortization because you can save hundreds of thousands of dollars of interest 
if you can pay your loan down more rapidly that then allows you to build the next phase, okay? In my opinion, a growing dynamic church is never out of debt because it means if you are, you're not expanding. Future of the church, um, again, we are the visiting team. We all know that. Can we change that around? Uh, learning the discipline of managing uh, church finances, building churches is much more different than building, just plain buildings, kingdom impact. And I think I'm very optimistic that I think uh, the non-denominational independent churches in America are the fastest growing group. And I think we can uh, change this around. But to us, that's what it's all about at, at TSF is uh, uh, watching young people and old people, all people of all ages come out of the come out of the baptistry. Well, thanks again for joining us today on the Real Life Theology Podcast. We will be back on Thursday with another episode.